I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Esther, chapter 4. Esther, chapter 4. We're going to focus on verse number 14 tonight. I'm going to give you the context of the book of Esther. Uh, It is an amazing book, a unique book in God's Word. It's one of the only two books that are named after women in the Word of God, along with Ruth. And it's the only book in the entire Bible that never mentions God's name. It never mentions God's name, and yet the entire narrative of this book is full of God working on behalf of His people. So we're going to turn to Esther chapter 4. The context is this, that the Jews, the people of God, the people of Israel, they are, uh, in, have been in exile. And if you read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, it's the story of the king of Persia allowing uh, many of the Jews to go back to their homeland, go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and then to rebuild the walls around the city. Ezra focuses on the temple and Nehemiah focuses on the walls. And the Bible and history tell us that many of the Jews chose to go back to Jerusalem when they were were allowed to return to their homeland. They were allowed to go back, and many of the Jews went home, but more than that, stayed in the land of their exile. So the kingdom of Babylon was conquered by the kingdom of Persia, and the kingdom of Persia was fairly lenient with the people of Israel, and so many of them had established businesses and and lives outside of Jerusalem, and so they stayed in the land of their exile. When you read the book of Esther, you're reading about a a family and the group of, uh, of the people of Israel who are called the Diaspora. They are outside of Jerusalem and they are living in the land of their exile. And the context is this, the king at this time, King Xerxes, if you're familiar with the story of the Battle of 300 or the Battle of Thermopylae, it's one of the uh, uh, most manly, just savage movies you're going to see in the last 20, 30 years. Um, It's the one where they throw the spear and the king, they thought he'd never bleed and it cuts his cheek and it's like this big moment and King Leonidas, this is Sparta, you know, all that stuff and all of you are looking at me like, what in the world are you talking about? It was that battle and it was that king. That's what's pretty amazing about it. And actually, the book of Esther begins as King Xerxes. This is after that battle. He's been defeated. And basically, King Xerxes was a very self-centered man, a drunken man, a very um, just all about himself. And so basically, he comes home from that battle and he's depressed because he's been defeated. And so he comes home and he's sulking and he's, he's drunk all the time and he's throwing a banquet basically to uh, ease his, his pain, to ease his sorrow. And he's throwing a banquet and he decides in this banquet that he as the king is going to call for his queen, Queen Vashti, and, and he's basically going to ask Queen Vashti to come and to uh, parade herself around his company, around his banquet to show how beautiful she is. And like a a good, uh, you know, righteous woman with dignity should, she says, no, I'm not your little plaything to come into your banquet. And the king, being the drunken, selfish man that he is, the Bible tells us in Esther, the king deposes Queen Vashti and sends her away and then basically holds a beauty pageant to search for his next queen. This is all to say the context of this book is that a woman named Esther, that being her Persian name, meaning uh, of the sun or or queen of the sun, Uh, Esther is one of these women that is paraded in this beauty pageant and she's found to be beautiful by the king. 
In fact, she's found to be so beautiful that the king immediately makes her the new queen of the Persian Empire. Esther, a young Jewish girl who before that day had been nothing in the eyes of the government, was actually one of the oppressed people, becomes the queen of this empire. This is where we come into Esther being the queen and serving King Xerxes. Esther chapter 4, verse 14 is our verse for tonight. It says this, For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Our mission tonight is to gain a better understanding of God's will that will instill both humility and confidence in the mission that God calls each one of us to. I want you to know tonight that your life has purpose, it has value, that God's plan overall for creation involves you, He's inviting you into it, and He is giving you mission. And we're going to look tonight at what is amazing about that. And if we, if we dive into this text, my prayer is that we will simultaneously be humbled beyond belief that God, who could do what He wants however He wants, would choose to involve you in what He is doing. And that knowing more about God's will will give you the confidence to know that even when the odds seem entirely against you, you are capable of doing what God has called you to do. When I was thinking about this this situation that Esther finds herself in, and we're going to talk more about it, I thought about a sergeant that I once had when I was a police officer. His name was Mark Carr, and he's like a father to me. Um, so Sergeant Mark Carr, I call him Sarge to this day. Um, both him and I are out of police work now, uh, but that's just what I know him as, Sarge. And so when I was a new deputy in Queen Anne's County, I remember going on calls, and there was just this piece that happened when Sarge was there. The first time I ever worked with him, uh, and, and I tell this story a lot, and he just loves to hear it over and over again, but I remember going to a, it was a domestic dispute, and there was this, this lady that's coming at me with a knife. And y'all, I, I was in all kinds, I grew up in North Carolina, so like there's, few, there's some things, and this should be like a worldwide universal rule, but I have been taught like as a kid, like you never ever put your hands on a woman. Amen? Like that's just, it's just a rule that every, every, every guy knows. Like, and it's in my head, it's deeply instilled, and so this woman's charging at me with a knife, and I'm like, oh no, like what do I do? I know what training says to do, but I know also what's ingrained deeply in me, and out of nowhere, Sarge comes, and he's in his, like, his SWAT gear, and just, boom, just, just knocks her down, takes her out, cuffs her up, does it like so professionally, and like he doesn't like have to do much, he just kind of takes her to the ground, cuffs her up, throws her in the car, and like it's, it's done. And, and ever since then, and when I went on a call, and if, if Sarge was on that call, like everything about him, I just, he was so like professional, and knew what he was doing, and so wise, and like now I know him like more personally, and so I know that like not everything, not everything he does is wise, but in my mind, like if I go on a call, with Sergeant Mark Carr, I had a peace, y'all. Like, I just knew that I could screw up, but there was really, like, it would take a lot to screw up badly enough that, that Mark Carr couldn't fix the problem. And so you fast forward through my police career, and I've shared this a lot, but uh, there was one year, it was 2015, matter of fact, 
I was simultaneously, in the span of a month, I was made the deputy sheriff of the year for the entire state of Maryland. And that's going to sound like it's a big deal, like I did a really good job, but, but hear me out on this. Like Within two weeks of that, I was also the same deputy that left my gas pump in my car at, at County Roads and pulled off with it. And within a, a month or so of that, I was the same deputy that pulled over a car, um, thank, thank the Lord, was on a back road, but I did, forgot to put my car in park. <laughs> I got all kinds of excuses for this, but this is going to be a short sermon, so I'm not going to go into it. Uh, but I went to the passenger side of the vehicle that I was pulling over, and it was this older gentleman. He was so kind, and I'm looking through his window, like looking at him, and I see another police car coming. I'm like, oh, cool. I got backup, and I didn't even ask for it. And I'm looking, and my backup is passing me, and I'm like, what is going on? And I look closer, and I'm like, that looks like my car. <laughs> And as I look a little closer upon further reflection, it was my car. And so I did this quick like, sir, I'll be right back. And I run over and I throw my foot on the brake and I stop the car and I put it in park. And I'm like, sir, you can go have a nice day. But then there's more serious situations where I stopped the car with four people in it, just in an armed robbery, and, and they pulled a gun on me, and I chased them uh, from the outlets to the almost PG County, and I broke so many rules, and my life was threatened. Like, so there's so many just mistakes I made. I didn't wait for backup, all these things. Uh, but for some reason, like because Mark Carr was my sergeant, I just knew like I can do this job, and I can screw up. But he's got my back, and there's something about that guy. And what I want you to hear tonight is like God is giving you, he's given you a mission. He's given you a job. And like the truth is you, as you follow Jesus, you're not going to do it that great. Amen? Amen. Like you're not, you're not going to be the perfect Christian that is obedient to God every step of the way that hears his voice every time you're supposed to. You're not going to be, and look, as a pastor, like hear me out on this, like I am awful at a lot of things. Like I am, I'm not great at visiting people. I'm really bad at returning phone calls. Like I'm just, I, I mess up a lot, y'all. But I want you to hear tonight, like God is calling you to a mission that you you cannot, he's not going to fail. Right, that's the heart of the message. Now, I want you to, to dive into Esther with me, and I want you to see a couple things about what Esther is hearing from her cousin Mordecai. And I told you that God's name is nowhere in this entire book in Esther, but you'll see how God is working throughout this entire book. So King Xerxes has made Esther the queen and this evil man in the kingdom, one of the, the higher-ups in charge, whose name is Haman, decides at some point he's jealous of the Jews because of this man named Mordecai. Mordecai just happens to be the guardian of Esther. And Haman, in his jealousy of Mordecai, decides that he wants to have the entire population of Jews exterminated. This is the book that, you know, you look at like the Bible being true and history repeating itself and things like that. Like, just stop for a moment and realize like, like this would not be the last time that someone would get in their mind that the people of God should be exterminated. Like, this is serious stuff. And so Haman, it sounds crazy until you think about like the 1940s. It sounds crazy that someone, one man can go, this entire race of people need to be exterminated. And King Xerxes decides this is what's going to happen. I'll pass a decree. Haman tricks him to pass a decree to have all of the Jews exterminated. 
What King Xerxes does not realize is his own queen, his wife, is one of the Jewish people. And so this decree is passed, and Mordecai decides that the only hope for the people of Israel is for him to get to his niece, his, his legal, um, uh, the one that he was in charge of raising, to get to Esther and to help Esther go to the king and seek his favor to spare the Jews from being exterminated. The problem is that King Xerxes is so high and mighty. Keep in mind, in the, in the movie 300, for example, in this battle, the belief was that this king was so high and mighty and so above everyone else that he would never bleed. So the, the battle of 300, they actually lost that battle. It would be the next one that King Xerxes was, would lose. But in, in the battle of 300, the idea was he wouldn't even bleed. So even for that spear to cut his cheek and for blood to drop, let them know that he was not a god. This was a guy that was so revered that Esther, his own wife, was not allowed under penalty of death, was not allowed to just walk into his presence in the throne room. If Esther were to go to her husband without being called for, she would be put to death unless he would extend his scepter to give her grace. And so Mordecai in chapter 4, this is the context, Mordecai goes to Esther to let her know Esther is so secluded in the women's chambers of this kingdom that she does not even know this decree has been passed to exterminate her people. And Mordecai goes in to let Esther know what has happened and to plead for her help in this situation. Verse 12 of chapter 4 says, And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. What Esther has said is, I have not been into the king's presence in 30 days. He has not called on me. There's nothing I can do. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said, and Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. And verse 14, our focus for tonight, I'll read it one more time. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. If you keep silent, silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. This is where church humility comes in. In essence, what Mordecai says to Esther is if you don't help, God will find another way. If you don't help, God will find another way and you and your family will perish. Mordecai has an incredible faith that realizes that because God has made a promise to the people of Israel, God's promise will always be true. Mordecai remembers that back with Abraham in the book of Genesis that God has said, Abraham, you and your people are going to be my people. He promised them relationship. I am making a covenant with you that I will not leave you or forsake you, that for all eternity you will be my people and I will be your God and I promise you this land and these descendants and we are going to have covenant with each other. And so Mordecai realizes that Esther, if you don't step up, my God will not fail us because my God has made a promise and my God does not break his promises. Amen? 
It's this humility of realizing in Esther's situation, Esther is humbled to know that God is going to work with or without her. And church, I want you to know tonight it begins with humility of knowing, listen, I believe God is calling you to serve him. But what a humbling truth to know that God is going to carry out his will, whether you engage in it or not. I want you to hear this tonight. I believe this is one of the most beautiful truths about who God is. Do you know that God's will is always rescue and deliverance? That God's will is always redemption and restoration. And yes, the flip side of that has to be judgment and holiness and justice. But God, and we see in 1 Peter, he says, God is not slow to fulfill his promise. He's patient, not wanting that any should perish. In other words, God's desire for every single piece of his creation is that they be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, drawn unto himself, redeemed, forgiven, restored, renewed, and brought to eternal life with him. God's will is always for the good. Always for the good. And the only way that God's will, that, that you can be outside of that, that you can receive that judgment, yeah, I believe with all my heart, God has never sent anyone to hell. Hear me out on this. Any person that's ever found themselves in hell chose to go there. They rejected what God had sent to them, what God had offered them. God did not desire that anyone should go to hell. He said, and right there in 1 Peter, it's not me, it's the Bible. It says that, that none should perish. And so God's will is good. The question is, are you going to be a part of it? And the truth is, his will is going to be done one way or another. Like what a humbling realization that whether I do everything that God wants me to do or I do none of what God wants me to do, God's will is going to be done. God is sovereign. Like hear me out on this, y'all. Your, your eternity, you may Choose to be outside of relationship with God. You may choose to be outside of relationship with the Father. You may choose to reject your Savior. But ultimately, the, the destiny, the, the fate of all of this earth, of the heavens and the earth and, and creation, is that God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and His people are going to enjoy it for eternity with Him. And that is going to happen no matter what you or I do. That is an amazing truth. And the flip side of that, the even more humbling thing in that is that if I do, if I live in God's will, if I, if I choose to, to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior, if I choose to be in relationship with God, I, then his plan is good for me. It's not all happiness. It's not all, all health. It's not all good. It's not all feeling good all the time. It's not rainbows and butterflies, but in my eternity is safe in him. But on the flip side, if I choose to reject him, like there's no question about it. You've never met someone that is not in relationship with God that is headed for a good place. Hear me out on this. I remember a Tom Brady interview. I've talked about it before. Tom Brady was interviewed uh, before his last Super Bowl ring. And they asked him, Tom, well, you know, what's next for you? Are you satisfied? Are you done? Are you happy with all these trophies you've won? Have you, are you happy with all this success you've had in football? And the guy looks dead in the camera and he looks devastated and he says, I'm, I'm not satisfied yet. I'm not satisfied yet. You've never met a person that is outside of relationship with Jesus Christ that truly feels like they have all their needs met, that truly feels fulfilled or satisfied. They can tell you they do. They're liars. 
Straight up. They may feel good in the moment. To be outside of God's will, outside of God's plan, to be out of relationship with God is to not be at peace. It's to not be so satisfied. It's to not be fulfilled. The happiest, most successful person you know, if they do not know Jesus Christ, they're not as happy as you think they are. They may think they are in the moment. They'll find out they're not. It's this humbling truth. Mordecai says, Esther, listen, God is going to rescue and deliver his people. And you're either going to get on board with this and you're going to be a part of this or you're going to perish. It's this amazing, humbling message, the benevolence and surety of God's will. We can know that God's will is good for his people and judgment is certain for God's enemies. It's just outright truth. Why does this matter? Why do we need the humility before the confidence? See, I believe, church, that the, the church of Jesus Christ, especially in the West, and, and let me rephrase that, the church, the religious institution that we call the church in the West, in America, at times, is getting too big for its britches. Hear me out on this. It's getting too big for its britches. It's become this big consumer industry, consumer organization that thinks that it can, in its own power, make more flashy lights and sounds and better music and better speakers and, and different programs and ministry that if we do this program or that program, that we're going to better carry out God's will and, and we can become bigger and better and better. And if more people come into our church and more money comes in, that we're going to be there just carrying out God's will. And it's this humbling message that like, no. Elevation, no. Hillsong, uh, no. Lakewood, no. Name big mega church you want to name. And I'm not saying that, that any of those are faithful or unfaithful. I'm just using examples. No, you are not necessary to the kingdom of God. Joel Osteen, T.D. Jakes. What's the guy's name at Elevation? Somebody knows. Stephen Furtick, right? Rudy Draper. You are not necessary to God's will being done. If I reject God today and say, God, no, done preaching. Look, I tried, y'all. I tried my hardest not to do this. Some days I think, Lord, let me try again. But if I choose to reject God and what he's called me to do and the way he's called me to be used by him, guess what? God's going to save who he's going to save. He's going to do what he's going to do. He's going to come back again. He's going to establish his kingdom, and he's going to reign forever with or without me. The humility's got to come first because sometimes, y'all, we are getting too big for our britches. Sometimes I am getting too big for my britches, and I need to be reminded God is going to do what he's going to do with or without me. He doesn't need me. He just wants me. But church, can I tell you tonight that with the humility comes confidence? I told you with Sarge, with Sergeant Carr, you know, there was just this, this idea that, you know, if he was there, if he was working that night, and I'm going to be honest with you, I had a corporal. Some nights my sergeant was off and, and corporal was working. I'm not going to name him. But I had a corporal that, like, I, we called him top shelf because he was hard to reach. And when he was working, I would be less active because, like, I wasn't as sure things were going to go well. But when Mark Carr was working, I could go out on that shift and y'all, I would get, I mean, I was a young guy that like I was rip roaring ready to go. I was going to stop as many cars as I could, make as many drug buses as I could, solve as many crimes as I could. I was out there. And when he was working, I did it with a peace. I'm like, you know what? I can have confidence because he's got my back. I get into trouble. He's going to be right there with me. I'm out on the road. He's not far away. 
And I'm telling you that this, this idea that God is going to carry out his will no matter what, like it's just this, this confidence booster to know like you can go out there and you can screw it up. You can do an awful job at this. Now, I'm not telling you to go try to do that. But hear me out on this. Say you go out in the street tonight and you decide, I'm going to try to meet anybody I can, I can speak to, and I'm just going to love on them, right? I'm just going to see what they need and pray for them. And if they need food, I'm going to feed them. And if they need clothing, I'm going to clothe them. And whatever their need is, like I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to try to meet that need. And I'm going to try to let them know that the reason I'm meeting their needs is because I, I know Jesus Christ and I want them to also. Now, I want you a totally separate sermon, totally separate message, but for the sake of, like, let's grow together. Notice how I said that. I did not say, go out there and find whoever you can find and look at them and go, if you die tonight, do you know where you're going? Like, let me tell you all something. Some of you are trained that way. Hear me, like, there's nothing wrong with it. It worked 20, 30 years ago. It worked. I've done it. Hear me out on that. Like, I'm not knocking you. I'm just saying, uh, today's generation, today's culture, that's not going to work. But hear me out on this. Here's some confidence. Because God's will is going to be done no matter what, you can go do that. Right? Like in your good intentions, if you're being faithful to Jesus Christ, if you're just trying to go, hey, I just want to share Jesus whatever it takes, and you do it like the worst way possible. You know, if you're that person that just goes up, hey, Doug, listen, if you die tonight, you know where you're going, man? Because let me tell you something, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to hell. Like, like that, that, I, I, don't, I don't think it's the best way. I don't think it's like you need know, the most helpful way. I don't think it's going to work today. Uh, but, but like God is merciful and God is full of grace. And like his Holy Spirit is working ahead of you and in spite of you and despite you. And like the Holy Spirit may just make Doug go, oh, oh no, like. Like, yeah, it's a fear tactic, but, but it might just work. I, I'm telling you that it, it, because God is who God is, that you can just be faithful, right? Like just know Jesus and try to serve him the best you can and have the confidence of knowing like it's about God anyway and it's going to be God anyway. I think I've preached in like, I don't know, 150, 200 churches now. And do you know, I've never preached a message where I saved anyone. I've never talked to anyone that I saved. I'll never save anyone. If I talk to anyone that chose to give their life to Jesus at any point, it was the Holy Spirit that did that. Amen. And it was God's will that was working. I, I didn't do anything special. The Spirit did that. And it's just this, this major confidence-boosting truth that God is going to rescue and deliver whether you're involved in it or not. And so go out there with boldness and courage. My Facebook memories popped up today, and sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, if anybody has Facebook, you'll know exactly what I mean. Sometimes your Facebook memories pop up, and you're like, woo! <laughs> and other times, and Miss Patty is especially, because she was with me in this, I'm pretty sure. But my Facebook memories popped up, and there's several others in the room that were with me, including Doug. But it popped up, and sometimes it's like, Ugh. And other times, it's like, man, praise the Lord that happened, you know? And so this day, 2017, we were in Ocean City, Maryland. We were in Ocean City, Maryland. And we had over 60, I believe over 60 kids with us in Ocean City, Maryland. And I had been a youth director, a youth pastor for, for less than two years at the time. And there's 60 kids all piled in like different cars. And I was just like, I, I tried to make y'all feel like I was confident and I knew what I was doing. And I just didn't. 
And so there's 60 plus kids whose parents have like entrusted them, like yes to all these chaperones, but ultimately I knew I had learned through other incidences that, that it all fell to me. If something went bad, if we didn't bring all the kids back, if they got lost in the snow, because it, it was a blizzard that year. It was my fault. And I was so nervous. And I was so scared. And y'all, like this was the year, if there was a wild group of kids that I have worked with, this was it. They were also one of my favorite group of kids, but if there was a wild group of kids, this was it. We're talking like kids fighting. I remember, I'm just going to tell you, look, I, I, I'm still in youth ministry, so if I have your children, uh, and I know that there's a, a, at least a couple here that I do, like, no, I have grown, I've matured, like, I, I somewhat, like, it's a little better now, and I don't think it was bad then. I had Miss Patty, so it was all good, but we're talking like kids that, I remember the, the elevator door opening, and the security guard being right beside me, and he's like, yeah, we got a problem. And the doors open, and there's a group of, of guys, of teenage guys, on a couch with a box of pizza they had ordered somehow. And they're riding up and down the elevator on a hotel couch in the elevator, having a pizza party on the elevator. There was... Look, it gets worse. At some point, I go down to the, to the uh, pool, and this is my fault. Like, here's one of the lessons I learned. Don't book a hotel that has a spa. <laughs> and I go down to the pool area. I'm looking for some kids because I would go around and make sure, you know, all right, we had all our groups, we had all our kids. And I go down to the, the sauna and I'm looking for some guys. There's this particular group of guys and girls and I'm looking for them. And like, I hadn't seen them in a little bit. So I go, I looked everywhere. I go into the sauna and it's all this mist. All you can see is steam everywhere. And I go in and I got some of my guys with nothing but a towel wrapped around them, chilling in the sauna with a group of the teenage girls. And they're just hanging out and I'm like, Oh, no. I didn't have your back then, so. <laughs> that one was not Miss Patty's fault. But I also remember, like, like God using, God in those moments, uh, and, and I'll get to the point of this in a moment, but, but that elevator door opened, and those guys are sitting on that couch, and they're eating pizza, and the security guard's next to me. And I remember, like, praying in that moment, like, Lord, what do I do? You know, like, and honestly, my mind is going, I'm 22, 23 years old, and, I, and I'm, I think I was somewhere around there, and, and I'm just in my mind going, I don't think this is that bad. <laughs> but I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I just felt like God saying, like, I just want them to know they're loved. Do what you got. to And so I remember turning to the security guard and be like, sir, these are my kids. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it, sir. I gave him like this really serious police officer face. I was still a police officer. And I was like, I'll take care of it. And I got on and I'm like, started out like I was yelling at the guys and I hit the door close button like really firmly, like I meant business and the doors close and I sit down on the couch next to the guys and I grab a slice of pizza and I was like, <laughs> pepperoni. And we had the best conversation, riding them down the elevator on who knows whose couch. And at the end of that weekend, it was the weekend that, that the, the speaker presented the gospel and I remember standing there as a youth pastor, and I don't think I can even say this without getting emotional. I remember standing there, and they're calling the youth pastors up, and they're like, you know, uh, uh, if you want prayer, if you want to come and you want to hear about Jesus, you want to pray with your, your youth pastor, you know, come, come speak to him, come pray with him. And I, I'm standing there, and, I, and I'm feeling like, this is one wild group of kids. <laughs> I was like, there's going to be like two of them coming up. And, and, and all of a sudden, there's a line. 
and the whole group, it's like 60 some kids, he's just coming up and like hugging me and, and praying together and thanking me and like just, just, just talking about, like, it was just this, this moment in time where I realized like, man, like the sauna, uh, the, the wrestling in the snow, the elevator, like all of it, just like God was, was working every moment of that weekend and he was working in spite of us. And what's even crazier is that we had a group of chaperones, and, and even as I'm, I'm here tonight, I realizing that and, uh, Pastor Phyllis and Greg are away, but they were like beginning to be involved as well, and several others. And, you know, like God was calling people into ministry in that time. And, and, and matter of fact, God was bringing a group of people together that would, would form this church in that time. And just realizing, like, in spite of, in spite of, of me and, and us, because, you know, I don't think any of us really knew what we were doing. And it's just this moment where, y'all, I had so much confidence after. Not like the bad kind of confidence. Not like the arrogant kind of confidence. I just knew that, like, God had called me to be used by him and that, and that he was going to be good and he was going to be faithful even in the moments where, like, I had no stinking clue what I was doing. Starting this church, like I think we're on year five technically of like, you know, since the beginning ideas and, and I'm just going to be straight up. You know, we're starting a new project. We're going to be building onto the space and it's going to be ours 24-7 and, and all this stuff. And it's like more money involved and more, it's just, it's just crazy. Like the idea, I don't even know about it. And like, but there's just this idea that like God is going to be faithful and, and, you know, like, hear me out on what that means, because even as leading this church, I have no stinking clue. Like, I, I know that doesn't, like, boost, maybe doesn't boost your confidence, like, especially those of you, like, join this church and you're, like, serving in, in leadership function. Like, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't take no church planting class. I, I don't know. I just got a master of divinity, but I can't really tell you what that even, like, I don't feel any different than, than I graduated on, on Monday. I don't feel any different than I did on Sunday. <laughs> I just know that God's going to be faithful. And the crazy thing is, like, this church could go kaput tomorrow. Like, like it could shut its doors. We could run out of money. Like, it could go tear your church. if Because several of us from other churches, like, your church could close its doors. And God is still going to be faithful. And if you just say yes, look at the text. It says that you'll perish if you're not on board and who knows, here's the part to hear. And who knows, who knows whether you, Esther, have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows if you've not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai ends what he's saying to Esther. He says, look, you know, God's going to do what he's going to do and, and he's going to rescue and deliver his people no matter what. And you can be on board or you cannot." But who knows, maybe God has placed you in this time and in this place for exactly this reason. And I hope that just like resonates with you in a crazy way. Esther realizes that what Mordecai is saying is true. And my favorite part of this, she says in verse 16, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Number one, she says, hey, I need y'all. If I'm going to do what God's called me to do, I need you guys to go pray. Go fast and go pray. And like there's a message in that, a whole separate message maybe. I hear this, church, like whatever God's calling you to do, 
whether it requires a ton of money or a ton of people or a ton of resources or a ton of whatever, whatever God's calling you to do, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt it begins with prayer. Amen. Whatever your time and your places, it always starts with prayer. And she says, go and hold a fast on my behalf. Go and, and pray for me and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. And then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. I love that. If I perish, I perish. One of the coolest things about Jesus Christ is that there is nothing, there's nothing beyond the scope of what he has done for you. Like, think about it for a moment. What is more terrifying than death itself? Like, the idea that you're going to die. Guess what? Like, you're, you're going to die. No question. Like, you're going to die. And this idea that, like, suffering, persecution, sickness, uh, anxiety, depression, death itself has been defeated in Jesus Christ. And Esther has this moment where she goes like, you know what, like God's covenant, God's promise to me is so all-encompassing. His, his relationship with his people is so all-encompassing. If I perish, I perish. I'm going to do what God has sent me to do. I said this before, and I'll say it one more time, and I promise I'll stop talking about it so much, but I really do believe it. The best thing that could happen to the church in America is persecution. Every season, the church has been persecuted. They've had to come to grips with the idea when they're presented with death, come to grips with the idea that Jesus is worth dying for. And if Jesus is worth dying for, it's, not a, it's a small leap to get to the fact that Jesus is worth living for. Jesus is worth everything he could ask you to do. There's nothing that Jesus could be asking you to do right now. This is your time and your place. Who knows if you have not been called to your job, to your situation, to your place, to this time in history for such a time as this. You know, I was looking, uh, it sounds like I spent a ton of time on Facebook and I promise it's not as much as it sounds like, or maybe it is. But, you know, like I'm on Facebook and, and I'm, I'm on Chestertown Happenings and, oh, my goodness, like if there's a group I, I think about leaving all the time, it's that one. And, and no, no knocks to like, hear me out. I feel the same way about residents of Centerville and pretty much every other community page there is. Um, but I'm on Chestertown Happen Happenings and I'm on Eastern Shore Police Fire EMS and like all these different groups. And, and it's just this reality of like if, if you're on any of those pages for more than a day, you begin to realize like how mean people are. And how mean this world is, and how dishonest, and how much trauma and violence, and, and like, you know, it's the type of world we live in. And I don't know if every generation before us has said the same thing, but it's the type of world we live in that a lot of people my age are saying, when you ask, hey, why haven't you had kids yet? They're saying, uh, because why would I want to bring a kid into a world like this? And you know, like, maybe your mom or dad had that idea of you. That, you know, oh my goodness, I don't know how I feel about bringing this, this son or this daughter into a world that is so dark and so desperate and so sick. And I believe if you know Jesus Christ, honey, and if you don't, this is the time. This is the time. This is the place. This is the time to, to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
And if you know Jesus, I believe with 100% certainty, if you don't know Jesus, I still believe God is calling you. I believe the Holy Spirit is stirring your heart. Hear me, I believe Paul said he preached a message probably similar to this one where he shared that God loved a group of people so much that he sent his son, fully God and fully man, to live without sin, without blemish, meeting God's standard perfectly so that when he went to the cross, he did not have in his death his own debt to pay for. And because he was the sinless, spotless, unblemished lamb of God, he could represent you and I and pay the penalty for our sin, for our brokenness, for our guilt, for our shame. And Paul, I believe in that message, he followed by saying, and I want to tell you that same Jesus is resurrected. In fact, Paul said, if it weren't for the resurrection, your faith would be in vain. But because Jesus is risen from the grave and alive forevermore, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and one day coming back again for his people to establish a new heaven and a new earth and to reign forevermore, the kingdom of God will be forevermore that if you just place your faith, and the word there was pisteus, it meant that it's more than intellectually saying, okay, Paul, what you said is true. It was more than just emotionally getting stirred in a service like this one and coming to an altar and saying a sinner's prayer and feeling emotional one day and the next, like going back to your life. Paul said, if you will give your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, a heartfelt, full, giving your life to Jesus, you're gonna be free from sin and death The old will pass away and the new creation will be here. And Paul preached a message like that. And one day he said, hey, listen, because I have shared this news with you, my hands are clean. They're clean of your blood. And I tell you tonight that you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. What I have shared with you is is true regarding Jesus Christ as the Son of God who died on the cross for your sin, rose from the grave, and is one day coming back again. And you have heard that message. And therefore, my hands are clean of your blood. And if you choose to follow him and are following him, God has a plan for your life. And it's pretty simple. The crazy thing is whether we're in this room, whatever job we have, it's pretty simple. The mission is to go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Notice it said make disciples, not converts. People that give their life to Jesus, walk with you as the family of God, and learn how to follow Jesus in such a time as this. In this dark world, whatever you see on Chestertown happenings or Eastern Shore Police Fire EMS, God made you for this time. And he wants for you to be a part of what he's doing. But praise God that it's going to happen with or without you. But I want us to do this together. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for this opportunity to worship you tonight. God, I just pray that this time in your word has been honoring and glorifying to you, Lord, that you could just smile upon our time in the word tonight. Thank you for the opportunity, the privilege, Lord, to to open up the word of God freely and, and share it together. Thank you for Esther's testimony. Thank you for Mordecai's testimony. 
Thank you for this beautiful glimpse into your people, to see how you love them, how you call them, how you work on their behalf, God, how your, your will for rescue and deliverance for your people worked. And thank you that we have the greatest promise ever given in Jesus Christ. So God, as we prepare to take communion together tonight, Lord, I just pray that this time as we share the bread and the cup, Lord, that it would be a time of deep, deep, intimate reflection of what you've done for us. Not only of your sacrifice, but Lord, of your truth, of your promise that you're coming back for us. That one day you will come in all of your glory and your people will reign with you. We'll experience you not as the, the suffering servant, but as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God, I pray tonight, if there's anyone in the room or online that's not given you their life, I pray, God, that they would know what it means that they would take seriously that you are Lord and Savior. And I pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, convict their heart and draw them to yourself. And God, I pray that they would have the boldness and the courage to let someone know. Lord, maybe it's someone in this room, maybe it's me, uh, whoever, God, that, that, that knows you and is, is capable of discipling them. God, I pray that you would give them the boldness and the courage to, to proclaim their faith to someone, to share it so that we can walk together and celebrate the family that you've called us to be. Lord, as we turn to you in, in communion tonight and in the Lord's Supper tonight, Lord, thank you for this, this beautiful covenant. Thank you for just leaving us this and, and, and commanding that we remember, we do this in remembrance of you. Help it, Lord, to be a time of, of filling, a time of, of nourishment, a time of reflection, a time of gratitude, a time of repentance. Bless this time, Lord, we give you thanks. Amen.